to another episode of Search, Ponder, and Pray, um, podcast where we loosely follow the Come Follow Me outline provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and where we strive to apply the uh, teachings in the scriptures to our daily lives. Um, kind of on time crunch today, um, we'll see what we can get through, trying to get through as much as possible for the, the holiday, um, but, you know, we get to what we get to. We'll kind of follow the Lord's direction on this. Um, but regardless, whatever we don't get to, I highly suggest and recommend that you study on your own time. But before we go much further, before we start, uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are very grateful for this day in which we have to come closer to Thee to learn of thy gospel and to find the ways in which we might grow spiritually. Help us to have the courage to take them. Father, bless us with thy spirit as we study thy word, that we will be able to see the truths that we need to apply to our lives. Let our minds be open to thy gospel, that the light may, that the light may shine in and bless us, and that we might be able to bless the lives of those around us. We pray for these things ever so humbly, Father, and ask for forgiveness of our sins. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so like I said, today we're trying to get through as much as we can in the short time that we do have. Um, so we are in Micah, um, and we're going to kind of lean heavily on the Old Testament student manual today um, because we are trying to get through about half of the reading. So we'll see. Well, we'll shoot to get through we'll get through chapters one through four, but we'll we'll see what happens. We'll just kind of take a breath, slow it down, and let the Lord guide. So let's jump over to the Old Testament student manual and see what it has for us. So in section eleven two, some facts about Micah. I don't usually like to uh worry too much about the academic stuff behind um, the scriptures, but in this, I think it's it's interesting. I mean, it's always interesting, and I think you should always look into it. I just tend to try to to stick to the the more spiritual topics here, just because I feel like we're trying. We are on a time crunch, and we're trying to get through as much as possible. <clears throat> Anyways, okay. So, some facts about Micah for the from the superscription of the book of Micah, it is apparent that the prophet's ministry was during reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. His preaching, therefore, took place during the years approximately 740 B.C. to 697 B.C. We may assign him, we may assign to him an approximate date of 725 B.C. This date reveals Micah was a contemporary of the of the great Isaiah and possibly also Hosea and Amos. So all these prophets, and like we've been saying, all these prophets are right there together. They're all right there. Um, they're all preaching to Israel and to Judah, trying to get through to them. The name Micah is an abbreviation of Micaiah, as the prophet is called in Jeremiah twenty six eighteen, which is in turn, which in turn is probably a contraction of Micaiahu, who is like unto Jehovah. The prophet is to be distinguished from the elder prophet Micah, the son of Imla, as well as from ten other persons of the same name in the Old Testament. The fact that Micah is called the called the Morshite. Moreshtite, sorry, would point strongly to his being a native of Moresheth Gath, 
which is mentioned in the text. It's in verse 14 of chapter 1. The name of the known, the name of the town means territory or property of Gath, and seems to have been located in the Shephelah, or below or the low hill region of Judah, some twenty miles southwest of Jerusalem. If our location of Morasheth is correct, it commands a marvelous view of the surrounding country and anciently must have been consider must have been of considerable importance. Micah was therefore a product of the hill, open hills and valleys, and seems to have had no special love for the cities. All right, so here we go. You know, you've got this this kind of a a country boy, I guess you could say, who is used to living out in the open areas and living in the hills, and he's he's not a fan of city people. Not that there's anything wrong with city life in general, but you know that's who he was. He was someone who didn't um, didn't particularly like cities. He felt so. We will we'll see. We'll see what happens here. So. Um, the next section is in verse, uh, chapter one, verse four. Let's let's kind of jump through there, so we can kind of jump down. Um, we'll jump down to verse two in chapter in chapter one. Here, all ye people. So now we know who he is, and this is what the Lord is. This, this is the word of the Lord that came to Micah. Here, all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that, that therein is. Let the holy, let the Lord God be witness against you the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountain shall molten under him and the valley shall be cleft as wax before the fire and the waters that are poured down a steep place. So the Old Testament student manual. Jump back to section 11-3. The mountain shall be molten under him. It says to compare the language with that that's in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 64, 2 Peter chapter 3, and Doctrine and Covenants, Doctrine and Covenants sections 101 and 133. So there's a lot of talk of this when, when the Lord will return, that um, the earth is going to undergo a transformation at the time of the second coming. And so he's, he's just jumping right in, Micah is just jumping right into the... Um, to the prophecy of the last days and destruction of Israel. Um, in verse 5 we see, For the transgression of Jacob is all is all this, for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? It is, not Sam- is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore I will take Samaria as an heap of the field, and as planting of a vineyard, and I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. All the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces, and all the hires thereof shall be burned with a fire, and all the idols thereof will I lay desolate, for she gathered it for the she gathered it of the hire of an harlot, and they shall return to the hire of an harlot. Therefore I will wail and howl, and I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like like the dragons, and mourning as the owls. For her wound is incurable, for it is come unto Judah. He is come Unto, unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. So he's he's laying it out. Um, it's kind of a of a rough rough thing to say right there in the beginning. And in verse five, um, what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? So he's saying, well, you know, people ask ask, 
what's what what's what is Jake what has the people of Israel done? What have they what have they done? And he says, Well look at Samaria. Look at your look at your capital city. Look at what you're doing in your capital city. And they say, Well, you're saying that we have high places. High places are usually um signify um they usually signify places of idol worship uh, or places of um yeah, worshiping false gods. And so they're saying, you know, where 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 are our high places? You're saying that we worship idols, but where are we doing that? And he says, Look at Jerusalem. Neither neither Judah nor Israel is is in the clear on this one. Samaria is in constant violation of the law, and Judah, all you're doing is worshiping false idols. In Jerusalem Jerusalem is filled. We jump to verse 10. Declare ye it not at Gath, weep ye not at all, in the house of Artha, Arpha, Arphra, sorry, roll thyself in the dust. Pass ye away, thou inhabitant of Saphir, having thy shame naked. The inhabitant of Zanan, come not forth in the morning of Beth, Beth Ezel. He shall receive you of his understanding, of his standing. So let's jump over to the Old Testament student manual. Um, so in verses, in section 11-4, uh, the judgment on villages of Judah. Uh, so in verses 8 through 16, Micah used a word, word play to pronounce the indictment against Judah. The technique is readily apparent in the Hebrew and can be appreciated in this more literal translation. So this is the more literal translation of uh, verses 10 through 14. Weep tears at Teartown, or the town of Bochim. Grovel in the dust at Dusttown or Beth Ophrah. Fair forth stripped, O fair town, or Saphir. Stir town, dare not stir, Zanan. Beth Esel, and Moroth hopes in vain, for doom descends upon the eternal, from the eternal to the very gates of Jerusalem, to horse and, and drive away, O horse town, Lachish. O source of Sion's sin, where the crimes of Israel center, O maiden Sion, you must part with Moresheth of Gath, and, ki and Israel's kings are ever balked at Balktown, or Axib. The phrase, her wound is incurable, in verse 9, refers to the wickedness of the northern kingdom. The statement, it is come unto Judah, shows that the spiritual... Sorry, shows that the spiritual sickness had spread to the southern kingdom as well. So he's laying it out all that, that no one's going to be, no one's going to escape from this. This is going to sweep through every little town, and it's going to, because this sickness, this, this spiritual sickness, has spread from the center. It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't something that. Oh, you know that little town over there. They've gone off the rails. It's something that the very heart of each nation has been inflicted with. Samaria and Jerusalem both have this sickness inside, and it's spread out from there. Let's jump to chapter two. Um, let's see. <clears throat> So in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 2, kind of read through those real quick. Woe unto them that devise iniquity and work evil to their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it, because it is in the power of their hand. 
and they covet fields and take them by violence and house and houses and take them away so they oppress a man and his house every man his heritage therefore thus saith the lord behold against his family do i devise an evil from which ye shall not remove your necks neither shall you go haughtily for this time is evil in that day shall one take take up a parable against you and lament with a doleful lamentation and say we be utterly spoiled he hath he hath changed our portion of my people how hath he removed it from me turning away he hath divided our fields therefore thou shalt have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the lord prophesy ye not say unto them that prophesy they shall not prophesy unto them that that they shall not take shame o thou o thou that art named the house of jacob is the spirit of the lord straightened are these his doings do not my words do good unto him that walketh uprightly even of late my people my people is risen up as an enemy ye pull off the robe and the garment from them that pass by securely as men averse from war the women of my people the women of my people have ye cast out from their pleasant houses for their children have ye taken my from their children have ye taken my glory forever arise and depart for for this is in this is not your rest because it is polluted it shall destroy you even with a sore destruction if if a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie saying i will prophesy unto thee of wine and strong drink he shall even be a prophet of this people i will surely assemble o jacob all of thee i will surely gather the remnant of israel but i will put them together as the sheep of Bo bozrah as the flock in the midst of their fold they shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men the breaker is coming up before them they have broken up and have passed through the gate and are gone out by it and their king shall pass before them and the lord on the head of them all right so let's see what the, the manual says about this so what added indictment did michael lay at his people's feet Micah had strong feelings about the social injustices of his day. He spoke here of the two sorry, he spoke here of those who devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds, probably referring to those who lay awake at night thinking up evil things to do. Then when daylight came, they put their night nighttime plots into action. One specific charge seems to be against individuals in power who were using their positions to acquire the land and property of others in their own as their own. Sperry wrote, Micah felt keenly the social injustices that plagued Israel in his own day. Coming as he did from, from the country, he no doubt felt these wrongs were wrongs more acutely than he would had he come from the city. He could not help but cast his incentive, his, his incentive, sorry, cast his invective condemnations at the wealthy, greedy land grabbers who descended from the ritual from the rural districts and made poor their made poor their debtors even today the agricultural communities in our own nation could well take a leaf from micah's notebook and beware letting their properties go into the hands of moneylenders micah was not so much concerned about taking about the taking of mere chattels pieces of property um what ground his soul and made him righteously indignant was that unscrupulous men were allowed to commit wrongs so easily and put human beings in their power. Personal independence was lost, and the security of home and family was put in the hands of a few capricious men. Capricious men. So, um, this is something that um, I believe was going on at this time was the 
it wasn't just like all the farmers out there were um were subjugating the poor and whatnot. No, what was happening was a lot of these smaller farmers and, and people who were working in the agricultural districts outside of the, of the larger cities, they were trying to raise money for the things they needed and to get the things um, to be able to, to run their farms and do those things. And in so doing, they, a lot of times they would, they would go into debt on certain things, um, which we all know the, the prophets and the Lord have encouraged us as much as possible to not go into debt. And this is one of the reasons why. Because once you are in debt, the, once they were in debt to these people, these um, these debtors, these people who ha- held their debt and loaned them the money, would then make would, would then lay down incredibly high prices and interest rates and things that they couldn't pay back. And they would push them and push them and push these little these farmers until the point that they couldn't make the payments any farther. And it would break them, and then they would come in and swoop in and take their land. And so suddenly these debtors are now, you know, yeah, they're loaning the they're loaning money, but it's not out of the goodness of their heart. They're they're hoping that they can break their their debt ease, that they will be able to take the take the land from them and thereby gain more than they should have from loaning out that money. And so that was one of the big injustices that was happening at the time. And Micah, being someone from the country, seeing this happen, I'm sure, I'm sure was outraged by it just to watch. And it's kind of interesting that here, I don't remember if it says who this was. Sperry. Oh, yeah, Sperry. So um, then he says, even today, the agricultural communities in our own nation would well take a leaf from Micah's notebook and beware letting their properties go into the hands of moneylenders. Um, you you got to be careful with a lot of the things you do, and money cannot become the sole purpose of your, of your daily existence. If it does, it will eventually destroy you. Um, and I don't, I'm not saying that these agriculture, these farmers or whatever, that that was their whole thing. They were so focused on money, and then they, that caused them to, oh, because of that, they were they were wicked, and now that they lost their land as a punishment. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, um, we just have ourselves. We all need to be careful of money and of, of wealth, because whether or not that was the purpose that the the farmers uh, had in their heart when they lent out the land uh, to as as collateral for the loan, um, it definitely was the problem for those who were giving out the loan. They were seeking for financial gain uh, and and wealth by taking the land from others to the point that they were stepping on the heads of their brothers just to be able to get that little extra. Micah was not... Uh, we read that. When prophets like Micah in, invade... Man, we're learning some new words today. Invade against these evils. Those spoken against... Those spoken against replied... Prophesy not, as in verse 6. They rep- the, their reply only caused Micah to renew his accusations against them. To these money and land hungry pirates, he said, Ye pull off the robe with the, with the garment, and the women of my people have ye cast out from their pleasant houses. Sperry explains, such, such preaching on the part of Micah does not please the corrupt great men, for they imagine in their thre- that his threats are irreconcilable with the goodness of the Lord. Micah interposes by pointing out that God is not wrathful and does not love love for chastening, 
but that he that he stirred up <clears throat> that he is stirred up to anger by the nation's sins and is obliged to punish when the prophet was overthrown the objections of his prophecies was <clears throat> sorry when the prophet has overthrown the objections to his prophecies by pointing out the transgressions of the people he repeats the prediction of punishment in the form of summons to israel to depart out of the land because it cannot bear uncleanness and abomination. To this Micah adds the point that the people only want to hear predictions of good, that they would rather hear the lies of false prophets who pursue the wind, emptiness and nothingness, than to be impelled by the Spirit of the Lord. If a man walking in the wind and falsehood do lie, I will preach unto thee of wine and, strong, and of strong drink. He shall even be the preacher of his people." And then, at the very end of chapter 2, after he castigated the false prophets for telling the people all it was well, Micah prophesied salvation. This prophecy concerns a people who had been scourged because of iniquity. And only, and only a remnant remained at the once mighty house of Israel. Micah foretold, foretold a miraculous growth as the people were gathered. He used the illustration of sheep of, a, of the sheep-rich area of Bozra to illustrate how the people will come become mighty. He compared their scattered con condition to a form of imprisonment and foretold a savior and redeemer who would break the prison walls and lead the people to the promised land. So once again, we have that same pattern the prophets at this time continue to follow and to pursue. That you know we, you're you're here. We have a wicked people. And he calls them to repent. And he's saying, you know, you, you're, you're seeking for the pleasant words. And I'm not here to deliver pleasant words to you. I'm not here to tell you that everything's going to be fine and dandy and that you the, what you're doing is right. And I know you're not going to like me for that. But that's what you need to hear. You need to hear how you need to grow and what you need to do to repent and come back to the Lord. Because what you're doing is wrong. And the people are upset by that. And he says, listen, you know, you you need to hear this you need to 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 come back to the lord or you will be destroyed if if you're not going to change you might as well just leave this land altogether because it will not continue to support you the lord will not suffer a wicked people to live here on this on this promised land and so he tells them this and then he says but it if even if you won't repent even if you won't in a coming day, there will be a Savior who will regather his sheep. There will be a master who will come down and he will, he will gather his people together and he will break the bonds that are on them and he will free them from the, from the sins and the, the darkness that they are in if they're willing to follow him. And he talks about this, this gathering of Israel that will occur. And it was something that I think a lot of these prophets held held to very firmly that they saw they saw that the the their people the people of their time they weren't they weren't changing at least not the whole the whole, all the people were not changing they weren't going to, it wasn't like Nineveh for Jonah where he went in and preached and all of them said oh well we better repent and turn back it was probably more along the lines of Lehi you know, he would listen and say, "Oh well, I need to, I need to straighten up." And 
he came to the knowledge and he made it out and was safe. And he actually was able to save one more family. But beyond that, everyone he knew, as far as as far as he knew, was destroyed because of because of because of their wickedness, because of their unwillingness to repent. And so for these prophets at this time, they must have been very downhearted and disheartened and just feeling like they weren't making a difference. And I think to encourage them, the Lord often gave them this vision of the future gathering of Israel and the last days and showed them what was coming, that there was going to be a regathering and that Jerusalem would be restored, that Israel would return in power. And I think that was given to them that they so that they could have that hope. Because they all talked about it. They all would re- they all returned to that, knowing that the people they were talking to at the moment <clears throat> were most probably going to shun them and cast them out and not listen to them. Um, and yet he continued to try and to push and to hope for that future day wherein um, wherein they would find peace and the hope of the Lord. And that's what's important, I think, for us to remember in these first two chapters, is that despite the difficulty that will be going on around us in these last days, um, like President Nelson said, some of the greatest miracles the Lord has yet to perform are yet to happen. Um, they're, they're before us. The Some of the most powerful spiritual moments in history are still before us, and we have the opportunity to take part in them and to be um, present for them if we are willing to continually to continue to seek the Lord. I don't think that um, we're going to have a city of Enoch moment where everybody, you know, in our area is going to, oh, we all reached perfect salvation. We all reached perfect, um, perfect sainthood. And so thereby we've all become this powerful city. We've all raised ourselves up and we've all, you know, we all get to go to heaven. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that we're going to continue to strive and work in our daily lives. And yes, we will labor and try and bring our friends and neighbors and our families to the Lord as well. Um, but beyond the reach of our own household, we don't have too much power. We must not stop inviting. Micah, Amos, Hosea, Joel, Jonah, all of these prophets, even though for the most part they knew that their that they're um, their ministry was going to end in the destruction of Israel. They knew that that was going to happen. Israel and Judah were going to be destroyed and captive and taken captive. They knew that was coming, but they knew that it was their job to continue to press forward and to do their duty, to to bring that knowledge back to the people, to warn them that thereby. Those individuals like like Lehi, like um, Ishmael, like anyone else that we don't have a record of just yet. So that they could hear the, the truth of it and choose for themselves that they wanted greater light and knowledge in their own lives. That they wanted that. They wanted that relationship with the Lord. We have to maintain that path. We have to stay true to the Lord. 
We have to do that not only for ourselves, but for our families. And if you don't yet have a family of your own, for your future family. Your children may be up, may be in, the, in, in heaven, watching down on you, hoping, hoping with beyond hope that you will stay true so that when they are born, they will be born into a God-loving and a spiritually strong house, somewhere they can find refuge from the world. Because those refuges are beginning to shrink in our, in our society today. No longer can we outsource our spiritual growth to others. So I can, uh, once again, I, I plead with you, don't let this be your only source of spiritual learning today. If it is, at least you got something in, and, and I commend you for that. But don't let this be the end. We must continue to grow. We must continue to strive so that our feet may be firmly planted on the gospel soil. So that we may stand strong against the coming day. We didn't get very far today, but we'll keep pushing forward. We'll push forward again tomorrow. I testify that these things are true. That In the scriptures, we can build that relationship with the Lord. Through prayer, we can build that relationship with the Lord. Through serving others, we can feel the Lord's love for those people if we really want to. The Lord is willing to walk with his servants if we will walk with him. I testify of his love and the power of repentance. I testify that we all can return to live with him if we're willing to pay the price. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.